so I like to help women think about how do you nurture your other relationships? You're usually curious about them, right? There's somebody, whether it's your kid or your spouse, you want to know what they're thinking. You want to know what they like and what they don't like. You want to understand why they did something or didn't. You care about them and you ask those questions. And so we have to do those things to ourselves because a lot of time we just react. We do, somebody says something to us, we react. We don't think about it. We're focusing on them and why did they do that and why? And so I try to help women go back to themselves and say, ask yourself the very same questions that you would ask your boyfriend, your best friend, your spouse, your kid, and start to get to know what your answers are. Hey, welcome to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Dr. Zoe Shaw. Dr. Zoe Shaw is a licensed psychotherapist, motivational speaker, radio show host, life coach, and fitness fanatic. She's a mom to five and a wife. She's passionate about helping women who struggle in difficult relationships, especially those sometimes difficult relationships with themselves. After 15 years in traditional psychotherapy practice, Dr. Zoe Shaw jumped off the couch and now helps women using a different modality with a mix of virtual therapy, coaching services, and programs through a lens of psychology, faith, and a dash of feminism designed specifically for women struggling in difficult relationships. Dr. Zoe is the author of the Ask Dr. Zoe column in the Grit and Grace Project Women's Magazine. She has been published in OprahMag.com, Recovery Today Magazine, and is a frequent contributor to Your Tango. She writes about helping women redefine their strength. You can find her in the media on Instagram at Dr. Zoe Shaw and in most social places at the handle Dr. Zoe Shaw. Dr. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Thank you for asking. And I'm honored to be here. And really right now I am good. This is my last day before vacation. I'm taking two weeks off. So I'm looking forward to two weeks hanging with the family. Oh, that's amazing. You must be so excited, especially having such a big family and getting mm-hmm. to spend all that quality time with them. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So as a clinical psychologist, you work with women to help them create a life that they truly treasure. What inspired you to do this work? Hmm. Um, you know, I my mother, I have to say, was the first inspiration, but I actually, I continue to be inspired in various ways to continue my work as I've shifted my work, but my mother, she majored in psych. And so she was always just looking at things from a psych mind. And she taught me to people watch and she taught me to be really curious about behavior and why people do things. Um, So I think from a very early age, I was inspired through that. I've always had a love of psych. And now I continue to be inspired by the women that I work with, by the women who change their lives, who find strength they didn't know they had, who are able to get out of unhealthy relationships and start healthy ones, repair relationships that they needed to. So every day I get inspired by my clients, by the DMs that people send me, you know, where either a podcast or something I've written or my book has helped them. I love that so much. It's amazing when you get to be continuously inspired. Mm, that it provides is. a lot of passion and purpose. And you were doing such amazing work, especially with women in difficult relationships with themselves. We don't talk about that nearly enough. And there is so much shame and pressure on women in today's society. Yeah, it's so true. And at first, you know, I, I 
try to regularly be thankful for the type of work that I do because I know not everybody gets to do what they love and I truly do get to do that. So it is wonderful to be inspired, but you know, the more and more I work with women in relationships, the more I, I've discovered that it's really, it really all goes back to their relationship with themselves because the relationship that women have with themselves sets the foundation for every other single relationship they have, even their relationship with God, all of that goes back to how do you feel about yourself? What, what do you know about yourself? What do you understand about yourself? Um, so the more and more I work with the relationships, I realize, hey, we just got to get this part straightened. And when you get that part straightened, other things start to align. I really love that. It is so true. And those questions of what do you know about yourself? How do you feel about yourself is so important. And mm-hmm. no one ever really asks us that. So yeah. how do you help women kind of come to an understanding, that self-awareness of how they actually feel about themselves and learn to kind of overcome it. You know, sometimes it's as simple as reminding or introducing women to the fact that they do have a relationship with themselves. So they're often so focused on, you know, this relationship, marriage, the guy they're dating, their kids, the family, and they never stop to think, wait, this person like me, right? I need to have a relationship with her. And so I like to help women think about how do you nurture your other relationships? You're usually curious about them, right? There's somebody, whether it's your kid or your spouse, you want to know what they're thinking. You want to know what they like and what they don't like. You want to understand why they did something or didn't. You care about them and you ask those questions. And so we have to do those things to ourselves because a lot of time we just react we do, somebody says something to us, we react, we don't think about it. We're focusing on them. And why did they do that? And why? And so I try to help women go back to themselves and say, ask yourself the very same questions that you would ask your boyfriend, your best friend, your spouse, your kid, and start to get to know what your answers are. And then, you know, we do things like taking yourself out on a date, journaling, uh, all kinds of things that are so important to get to know yourself. And just like people you're in relationship with over time, they change. So we continue to get to know people we're in relationship with. The same happens with ourselves. You don't, it's not a one and done. Okay. Now I know who I am. Now I don't need to explore anymore. Nope. It's a continual process. That is so true. We are always growing and changing, Mm -hmm. but I really loved how you talked about like going on a date with yourself, like taking yourself out by yourself. That is something for women that seems so terrifying. And that's something I started doing recently. But if I say it to like my friends or like my parents or just anyone around me, they're like, why would you do that? Hmm. You know, sometimes I have to start super, super small with women because I will have women who I'm working with who have difficulty spending five quiet minutes by themselves. And a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of emotion. There are a lot of things they don't want to think about that come up. They feel bad when they're just sitting with themselves. And so they spend their life distracting, right? And so sometimes we have to start with just five minutes, figure out how to spend five minutes with yourself, figure out how to identify what emotions you, you feel in those five minutes, what's going on with you, what you do need to work through, and then work up to things like taking yourself out to dinner on a date and being comfortable with yourself. Because if you can't be comfortable hanging out with you, then I promise you, you're not going to have healthy relationships. It's hard because we're kind of taught to distract ourselves, right? We're taught to put everyone else first. 
and just keep going, keep going. Don't stop. Don't slow down. Do what you can to help other people take care of the household, Mm -hmm. have a career, do everything. And no one gives us a chance to slow down. And then all of a sudden it's like you get a moment to slow down, especially with COVID. Suddenly everyone was at home and they had to actually sit with themselves and no one knew how to do it. Few people did. That's That's why Netflix binging was like an all time high, right? You would think people would be able to sit in their home and be with themselves, but most people were straight towards figuring out how do I distract myself? How do I distract myself? How do I distract myself? Yeah. So when it comes to relationships women have with themselves, Mm -hmm. what are the different kinds between, or the difference between a healthy versus unhealthy relationship? Yeah. So an unhealthy relationship is a relationship where you don't speak to yourself well where you've taken negative self, you've taken negative talk or things that have been said to you and you make them your own. And you find out that you're putting yourself down. You're telling yourself horrible things or your talk, you're doing what I call catastrophizing, you know, looking forward and telling yourself all the things that are going to happen that are bad in the future. So if you're not able to spend time with yourself sitting and feeling a a sense of comfort or peace being with yourself, then I would say that's not a healthy relationship. If you find that you're speaking to yourself really meanly, toxically, you know, any negative things, not a healthy relationship. If you find that you don't give yourself grace, meaning, you know, all behavior makes sense in its context. And a lot of times we feel a lot of guilt and shame about our, who we are, our past, and we are, are punishing ourselves and putting ourselves down and not able to give ourselves grace and realize that decisions you've made were made for a reason. What you did makes sense. It might not have been healthy for you, but it makes sense. And your job is to understand the context, understand why it makes sense what you did. And then if it's something you want to change, figure out how to change that for the future, but not to judge yourself, not to shame yourself. So if you're in that kind of cycle, you're not in a good relationship with yourself. That is so true. And like you said, we are kind of taught to judge ourselves Mm -hmm. and look back at what we did wrong and why we did wrong and punish ourselves for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. why did we allow things to happen to us? It must mm-hmm. have been our fault. We must have chosen this mm-hmm. or we weren't strong enough to fight against it. Or why didn't I speak up sooner? There was just all yeah. this shame and guilt that comes. Right. So how can that affect our relationship with ourselves and then with others as well? Well, you know, if you're carrying a lot of shame, then like I said, you don't have a good relationship with yourself. So it's hard to have a good relationship with others. But what happens, what it actually looks like is that when we feel shame, we have a difficult time showing up as our real self, right? Because we want to cover it. We want to hide that thing that we're shameful of. So we show up in relationships with this facade you know, with this idea of who we should be, we're trying to hide the things about ourselves that we're shameful about. And so then when we do have connection, when someone does like us, when we, you know, do fall in love or vice versa, or even, even familial relationships, when we have that connection, we actually don't experience it fully because there's a part of ourselves that says, well, it's not real because they don't really know the real me. And so you're in connection with people And even though they are trying to love you and they may love you, you don't fully experience that love. And it creates 
conflict. It creates internal conflict. It can create conflict, uh, conflict in relationships. Um, and so shame affects, you know, it's a ripple effect. It's not just an internal thing. It actually then becomes an external thing. It's amazing how things internally come out externally as well. And we see patterns that we tend to not realize where they're coming from. Mm, And we don't really know how to look into ourselves. So I know you said asking yourselves the questions you would ask your best friends and Mm -hmm. your loved ones, but what are some other ways you can get to some self-awareness? Because sometimes it's hard to learn how to talk to yourself and you don't know where to start with that. So what else can women do? Well, one of the things that's really important to do is to understand what it is you're saying to yourself. So sometimes you have to do a log where you literally have to kind of follow yourself all day. And when you're feeling sad, angry, frustrated, resentful, bitter, whatever, jealous, ask yourself, what am I saying to myself? Write down those actual words. And then you can start to get an idea of, oh, wow. These words, because the words we speak to ourselves are so very powerful. They influence the way we think about ourselves. They influence how we show up in the world. They influence the lens through which we see the world and that in in turn influences our behavior. So you want to know what it is you're saying, because a lot of times we're not aware of it. Once you're able to identify what you're saying to yourself, then you want to ask yourself, where did that come from? Who first told me that? So that you can really understand the context of those words. And then what you want to do is you want to create affirmations that are very specific to those things that you say to yourself to help reverse it. So there's lots of different techniques like thought stopping and then replacing, you know, with the positive. Um, But through your self-talk, you can start to understand yourself well. The other things that I want you to ask yourself are, what do I like to do? What am I passionate about? What do I want my future to look like? Because sometimes, especially, you know, usually people can talk about goals and future, but they have a really hard time talking about what am I passionate about? Why am I here? Do you know your purpose? Now that can sometimes be a long, a lifelong, you know, um, what's the word coming to knowledge about, but you should be asking yourself those things because you need to be on the path of figuring it out. Um, So really it's asking those deep questions. I love how you brought up figuring out what you're passionate about because your passion is your why. It's what keeps you going. It's what gets you out of bed on those tough days. It's what makes you smile when you feel like you're falling apart and the world is just crumbling around you. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways that women can start to explore what their passion is? You know, I love to ask women, tell me about what you love to do when you were nine or eight. Because, and and even you, like your, your face was like, oh yeah, because you can connect a little bit with what it felt like to be a little eight, nine, 10 year old girl and just doing something you like, not because it was going to make you money, not because it was going to make somebody proud, but just because you intrinsically enjoyed it. And a lot of times people are like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I used to like to play with Barbies. So every girl likes to play with Barbies. And I'm like, okay, but what did you do with your Barbies? Because everybody does different things with their Barbies, right? So Mm -hmm. me my Barbies had a library. My Barbies loved to read. I loved reading so much when I was young. And I used to literally take a book because I wanted to be a writer so badly, but I couldn't think of any ideas. Like I can't make up a story. And so I would take books that I loved and I would transcribe them. 
not just by hand, I would type them and then sometimes change the stories a little bit because I just loved reading and writing. And I, I kind of put that away for a lot of years, literally until I was 40, because that didn't mean much to me. That was like, oh, well, all, all girls like to do things like that. Right. But it wasn't until I really found some things that I wanted to say that I started writing again. And I discovered my love for writing. And I know, I mean, that has been a passion that started way, way, way early. And even though I, I mean, I've written things obviously in an academic sense, but writing has really been that thing that lights me up. And I realized that I can help more people through my writing. It is completely my passion, but I put it away for like 30 years because I didn't value it, you know? And then I realized too, that no, I'm not ever going to be a novelist. I don't think I won't say never, <laughs> but you know, I probably won't ever be a novelist, but I can tell other people's stories and I can tell my stories and that is still writing. So I ask women, just think about those things that you did when you were little that you might think are inconsequential. And that's probably a little bit of a spark, you know, where your passion started. And I'm sure there's a thread of something in there that is really what you are to do in this earth. That is, first of all, your story is beautiful. I love mm -hmm. that you Barbies had the library and you would sit there and you would read the books and type it out and change yeah. the stories. Right. And a lot of times we don't remember what we did when we were little, we kind of suppress who we were. And we're afraid to rediscover the passions that we had. Mm -hmm. I've been very lucky where I knew what I wanted to do when I was little. And it's been exactly the same. I started inspiring my generation when I was 12. So in a lot of ways, awesome. thank you. In a lot of <laughs> ways, I can't relate to that. Yeah. Not knowing what your passion is. And there's so many people around me are like, well, how do you know? Mm -hmm. How do you know what you want to do? How do you choose a path or a route to take? And there's a lot of stress. And then there becomes a lot of shame on maybe I went to school for something and I realized halfway through it or at the end of it, that's not what I want to do. But now I feel stuck. Does, do you feel fine that that happens a lot? It does. It does. And you know, there, some people have a direct route like you have and other people take a very circuitous, I can't say that word, circuitous route, right? And it's all useful. So the things that I've learned along my path, along the 30 years that I wasn't writing, I'm using them all now in my writing. So this, this idea that you did the wrong thing, or you went to the, you went to school for the wrong thing. Absolutely not use it. And you're going to use it in your life. And so it's, I, I just think it's so important not to feel like any time that you've already had was wasted. Instead, just figure out what did I learn from it and how can I, how can I use it? That is beautiful because you said when we learn from it and we figure mm -hmm. out ways we can adapt it, there's always something that we can use it for. Even if it's a way that taught us how to learn differently, how mm -hmm. to study differently, how to see the world differently. There's always Absolutely. something you can take out of it. And it's really hard when you feel afraid to kind of switch mm -hmm. paths and go back to what you want to do. So what advice do you have for someone who may be years down the line into a career that they're like, I never really wanted to go into this. Everyone kind of told me this was the right mm -hmm. path to do. Yeah. And now I feel guilty if I start over and I decide I want to do something else. I want to go back to school or I just want to change routes, change jobs. And they don't know if they should. Well, 
my, I always say, if, if you're thinking about it and you've been thinking about it for a while, then you already know the answer. The problem isn't, should you it's how, right. And, and often another thing I like to ask people to do when they're trying to make decisions is if nobody in the world had any care, opinion, or judgment about what you would do, what decision would you make? And most people can immediately come up with that. So the answer or the question I should say, isn't, should I, it's I'm terrified. And how can I get over my fear to do the thing that I already really know I want to do. Right. And so for someone who says that I have to say, okay, I think you're asking yourself the wrong question. You've already figured out that this path whether it may have been good for you at some point, or maybe you chose it for reasons that were about other people's opinions, but you figured out that now this path is not working for you. So you've got to figure out how to get on the other one. And it looks really far and it's really scary. And there's a whole lot of things you don't know. And you're probably telling yourself lies about lies about your age, about your ability, um, all the things about how long you've spent in this and why should we, you know, continue to throw good money after bad, we shouldn't. So what you need to do is really write down all of your fears and then recognize that some of them you're going to have to walk through. There's going to have to be that leap between what you know and what you don't know, and you're going to need to take it and it's scary and it's okay. And everybody does it differently. For some people, it might be starting a side hustle while they're working their full-time job, right? Until something happens where they can make the leap. Everybody has to make a leap though. Some people's leap are, <laughs> some, some of the leaps are large, some of them are small. And for somebody else, it might be quitting that corporate job and, you know, taking a year to start figuring some things out. Everybody's life is different, but what you have to do is ask the right question, recognize that fear is going to be there and it's okay and figure out where your leap is going to be. The way you reframe the question is amazing because mm. it's so true. We give ourselves all the reasons we shouldn't do something instead of realizing like what's in our way and why we're right. afraid to take that yeah. next step. Because if mm -hmm. we don't know why we're afraid, we're never going to want to make that step because when there are a million fears in front of you and you can't yeah. even understand what they are, where they come from, how are you supposed to move through it? How are you supposed to go forward when you don't know what you're facing? Mm -hmm. Right. I absolutely adore the way you reframe the question. Oh, thank you. But secondly, what I loved even more was the way you validated fear. Like it's oh, okay yeah. to be afraid because we often feel weak for feeling afraid of something or like, why am I afraid? Why am I not strong enough? Why am I not good enough to just go for it? And you validated it. Yeah. You know, we imagine that people who do quote great things have no fear and it's not true. It's not true. If you read, you know, biographies, if you read memoirs, you can see the struggle that is really just a part of our humanity. Um, and so when we can recognize that everybody has fear, everybody has imposter syndrome, we all have the same number of, you know, hours in the day and, and essentially, you know, an average lifespan. And so those are all constraints that we have and they're real and there's nothing different about you. It's not, the fear is not the problem. It's just learning how to live with it, learning how to, in some ways, make it your friend. You don't let it rule you, but you have to recognize it's going to be there. So you just got to work with it. You know, with 
all of the fear, all of the shame, mm-hmm. all of the negative self-talk that just builds up over time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's very destructive to our mental health, especially mm-hmm. at a time when we feel unsure of who we are and who we want to be and what our future is going to look like. So what are some ways that we see that affect our mental health and how can we recognize it? Fear and shame? Yes. Yeah. Well, it definitely affects our self or self-esteem in the workplace. It can create imposter syndrome where we feel like we are just, no matter how many degrees we have, no matter how much training we have, we're not good enough. Right. Um, and it can paralyze you. It can paralyze you from making decisions. It can paralyze you from taking steps that you need to take because you're, you're so fearful and fear can cause well, first of all, fear is an aspect of anxiety, right? But fear can cause anxiety. It can also cause depression. And so all of those things can happen if we don't learn to really get a hold of it and tackle it in our lives. That is so true, especially the connection between fear and anxiety. And I don't think people realize that. Mm-hmm. And there is a normal amount of fear and anxiety and anxious feelings and worry. And then there's anxiety disorders and being able to recognize when you're crossing that line is really important. What are some warning signs that maybe I am so afraid that I am creating or I am living with an anxiety disorder? That's, those are great questions. Um, You know, the first is if you recognize that your fear is so great that you're starting to starting to stop things that you're allowing it to stop you from going out to that party or, you know, to not approach someone at work that you need to approach. If you realize that it's stopping you, because one of the things that happens is that when we give into fear, it grows. And so that's why it's so important to not give into it. Um, But when we start to get into a pattern of getting into it, we stop things in our lives and then it grows. Another one is that if you recognize that the things that you're saying to yourself, when you're kind of perseverating on something, worrying about something to such an extent that you're not able to go to sleep, you're not able to get tasks done, um, then you may have an issue and you need to to go in and and get some treatment. Another one is when you start to kind of project your anxiety, I should say, on other people, right? When your lens changes so that you're, you're so worried about other people or you, you're, all of your conversations tend to surround protecting yourself or protecting others, then that's when you also know that, that you need to get some help. So it's basically when it begins to disrupt your daily functioning, your ability to do the things that you need to do, be productive, get where you need to go, live the life of freedom that you want to live when it starts to really kind of um, encumber on that, then it's time to get some help. That is an amazing distinction because we often don't know when is it time to reach out for help. Is this normal or am I struggling and do I need support? And people are often afraid of reaching out for support, especially when they're not sure if it's all in their head or not, because we're kind of taught, especially as women that um, maybe it's hysteria. We're making it up. We're kind of crazy. We're dramatic. Mm -hmm. So we don't know, is it time is this real or am I just being this dramatic person that society tells me I am? Mm, 
You know, when you say it's all in your head, my, my first thought is it's all in all of our heads. Yes. It's all in your head and that's okay. Uh, the question is, do you feel comfortable in your head? It doesn't matter if anybody else feels comfortable with what's in your head or what you express. The question is, do you feel comfortable in your head? And when you start to realize that you're feeling a sense of discomfort and it's impacting your life, then yes, it's time, no matter what anybody else has to say about it. And a lot of times, you know, I was just doing this podcast about menopause and the fact that women are told, oh, well, you, you know, like whatever you're feeling, anxiety or depression, oh, it's just menopause. Wait we're looking at someone who's actually experiencing anxiety and depression. Yes, they may be going through menopause, but that's not quote in their head. That is what it is. And so same thing to you. Yeah. Maybe there's a lot going on in your life. Maybe you do tend to be dramatic, but that doesn't mean that you're not experiencing what you're experiencing. That is just mind blowing to look at it that way, because mm -hmm. we tend to feel like if it's on our head and other people see, seem like it's fine or feel like we're being dramatic, then that's it. We are, we don't deserve help. Or like you said, menopause hormones, they're like, oh, it's just your hormones. Mm -hmm. And not knowing if, if it really is just my hormones, then I guess that's it. There's something I can do. And but see, here's the thing. It's never just because remember our minds and our bodies are connected, right? So if there's a hormonal thing going in your body and it's triggering a depression or it's triggering an anxiety, it's still real. Yes. It's just as real. Yeah. I love that because I think women need to hear that. I think mm -hmm. they need to hear that it's real. You're not, if you're feeling anxiety, if you're dealing with depression, that's not just a normal symptom that you should just be okay with. You not deserve support and you deserve yes. help. Yes. So I really want to tie this back into having that relationship with yourself. Mm -hmm. So what are some action items that you can give to women who are experiencing fear or shame or afraid to reach out for support to be able to start building a healthy relationship with themselves so they can move forward and get the support that they deserve? You know, one thing that can be helpful if you're not ready to take that next step towards therapy or any other type of support is to start journaling and you don't have to be a writer. <laughs> you don't have to even be good at writing, um, but to start journaling, because sometimes the things that you write down, there's something about putting words to paper that can help you discover things that you might otherwise not not realize about yourself. A simple thing to start with, if you're not a journal and you don't know what to say, because a lot of women will say, well, I don't even know what to write and hide it. And then they'll start censoring themselves. Like they're writing for somebody. No, you're writing for yourself and nobody else needs to ever see it. But a good um, prompt is to ask yourself daily, what's causing me pain and what do I desire? Most of us are able to answer those questions um, quickly even, or if it takes a while, that's okay. But that gives a little insight into who I am, what, what's causing me the most pain right now. And what do I desire? That's a simple first step. That is an amazing journal prompt. Do you have a recommendation on the best time of day to journal? I know for me, I do it as soon as I wake up, because if I have any other thoughts in my head, I won't be able to express what I'm genuinely feeling. I'm now feeling what I saw on social media mm -hmm. or a conversation I already had with someone. So for me, I know that it's like right in the morning before I move, but is there a certain time that's best? Is it different for everyone? 
I, it's different for everyone. For me too, it's the morning. And also there's two different types of journaling. So what I tend to suggest for women, if their time clock works this way, is nighttime journaling, sh- journaling should be purging, just literally getting any thoughts, but all those crazy thoughts, like you said, social media, whatever's been influencing you throughout the day to just kind of purge. And the benefit of purging is that it actually helps you sleep better because then your mind isn't doing all of that racing and thinking you've already put it on the paper and you can remind yourself it's on the paper. I don't need to think about it. So there's a nice purging, you know, aspect of journaling that can happen right before you go to bed. But then this other kind of journaling, the discovery journaling, the journaling that's kind of deeper to who you are, I suggest you do it, like you said, first thing in the morning. Number one, you're just coming out of, you know, your sleep cycle. You're closer to your dreams, which are usually very good kind of um, uh, insights into your psyche. Even if you don't remember your dream, you're just closer to it. And so it's better for you to journal in the morning if you can, and to ask yourself those kinds of questions, like the pain and desire question in the morning. I absolutely love that. And I never thought about that purging journaling at night. That sounds so valuable because we do tend to be up all night with racing thoughts when our thoughts are racing Mm -hmm. and we have so many emotions and anger and fear and shame, Mm -hmm. just everything playing on repeat. It's so hard to sleep and knowing that there's a way to kind of release them so you can get the sleep you deserve is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Dr. Zoe, you have been full of insight. Absolutely incredible. I've learned so much from you and I really enjoyed having you on today. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I enjoyed being here.